Bible to the book of Ruth. And for those men that raised their hand and said, and said they're coming and don't, we have a special prayer prayed for you. We're praying that whatever hair is left on your head falls off and shows up on your wife right here. Right. No, no, I'm teasing. See, that's what you got. We're going to have fun Friday as well as the preach word. Now, I wouldn't pray that on anybody. Uh, you know why? Because you have the Velcro effect. If you ever kiss someone like that. But anyway. Sorry. The Lord made me that way. Take it up with him. Ruth, chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. Would you stand with me now for the reading of God's word? Ruth 1, 19. So they, Naomi and Ruth, left from Moab and went until they came back to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home empty, or again empty. Why then ye call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. You may be seated. In the previous two weeks, we spoke about the man Elimelech that took his family, Naomi, his two sons, Malan and Chilion, to Moab because there was a famine in Jerusalem. We found out that he was a runner trying to escape from his problems. He did not consult the Lord what his next step should be, and he willingly violated what he knew the revealed will of God to be, and that is to stay in Bethlehem, not to go into Moab. God's word was clear that as far as the Lord was concerned, Moab was a wash pot where God would wash his feet and leave the dirt that would come off his feet if he were a man in that place. But desperate times make men do desperate things. And uh, Elimelech chose for the natural and he forsook the spiritual and he died in Moab and he died uh, not only himself, but his two sons died in Moab as well. And Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, left with her two daughter-in-laws, had heard, oh, whispers of grace. She heard that the Lord had visited his people again with bread in Bethlehem. And so she went to go back home. And Orpah, the wife of one of the sons, and Ruth began the journey with her. In mid-journey, Ruth uh, Naomi began to talk them out of it. They said, why would you go back with me if I marry again? Are you going to wait for me to be pregnant and raise up a boy? In essence, by that time, we'll all be too old. There's no, there's no earthly help for you. And Orpah, they all, uh, they all began to weep together. And Orpah turned back. And Ruth made one of the most popular, most beautiful poetic statements in the history of literature. She said, entreat me not to leave you. And don't ask me to depart from you. Because your people are going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. Where you live, I'm going to live. Watch. And where you die, I'm going to die. I'm going to finish my life with your God. She said, and your God, my God, and I'm going to die there. This is not a moving by need. I am turning my back on the pagan ways of Moab. And I am going to see if there's grace enough 
in your God to engraft me in a woman of the wash pot. If there's grace enough for God to engraft me in. And so the story turns now from the tombstones to the return. So Naomi and Ruth made their way back, returning unto Jerusalem, and they came there. We talked about make sure that you're not only just walking back to God, but you make it all the way back. Might as well not leave if you're not going to finish. So they get to Jerusalem, and the women at the well or at the gate, it's unclear, but it was a certain time of day, and the women began to speak aloud. And they said, is this Naomi? Now, it could be one of several things, depending on which commentator you read. Uh, It could be that she was still at such a distance. They didn't know if that was her, and that doesn't seem like it's it to me because that doesn't carry the theme of the Scripture. Always look for the themes because the information God gives you travels on the themes that God is establishing. When she got back to Jerusalem, and they got close enough, and they said, Is this Naomi? What it means is they, it was her, but it didn't look like her. There were deep lines in her face now. The glow was gone. The countenance was gone. The way she walked was different. Probably drug her feet instead of walking lively and purposefully. See, her name meant pleasant. Her name meant glowing one. But some things happened in the life of Naomi that changed the very physical DNA of her life. And pleasant went to unpleasant. Grateful became ungrateful. Optimistic began to be cynical. God-honoring turned into God-questioning. And the townspeople that knew her knew her as a, a radiant testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of us would say. Well, the Lord just didn't make me that way. Love, joy, and peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And her parents saw in her as a little infant that the hand of the Lord was on her and named her pleasant, radiant, beautiful. But she replied, they said, is this Naomi? And she didn't say, yeah, It's me. Don't call me Naomi. Right out the gate, the first words. Don't your first words tell a lot about you? Is this this Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Not yes. Call me Mara, which means bitter. The free dictionary defines bitterness as this. Listen, this is powerful. Having or being a taste that is sharp, Accurate and unpleasant. Having or being acrid, sharp, and unpleasant. Causing painful or stinging sensations. Difficult or distasteful to accept, admit, or hear. Proceeding from or exhibiting strong animosity. That would be like a bitter struggle or bitter foes. Resulting, this is powerful, resulting from or expressive of severe grief, anguish, or disappointment. That's where we get the phrase, they cried bitter tears. Marked by cynicism. A synonym of bitterness is a crudity. Listen to this. The quality of being sharply 
disagreeable or unpleasant in language or tone. By God's design, before you ever knew you were coming today and before I ever started thinking about this series back around Thanksgiving, the Lord knew who would be here today. And by odds, there are good people that are bitter in this house or that will hear the message. There are faithful people who are bitter in this house. You've changed your name. You've changed your name from what God called you to what life has given you. Don't change your name. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, I just humble myself before you. And I want to say publicly that I was very much on the verge of changing my name. I saw no way out. I saw no way through. And the experiences of my life had led me to believe that even if there was good, evil would triumph. And that I was incapable and I was disqualified from the goodness of the Lord. And I pray, O oh Lord, as I preach this word, that all the people under the sound of my voice would see themselves somewhere in the story and that we would turn our face towards you, whether we've left you, whether we're coming back, or whether we're coming back and wounded. Oh God, you wouldn't preach to us without wanting to do something for us. So I'm asking you to anoint me this morning that I would be clear, that I would be powerful in my words, and that it would find the place that it needs to go. Like water finds the lowest place. May this word find the lowest place in the heart of those that need it most. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to run through this first point quickly, but it is important. What were some of the experiences that led to her bitterness? Now see, this might not be on your list, but the pattern's the same. For a woman to have faith enough to go back home and not faith enough to be healed is an incredible... Um, um, what word am I looking for? It's, um, it's, an, it's, it's an unfair... I can't think of the word. What word am I looking for? I'm drawing a blank. Thank you. Thank you. Education just slipped me. It's a paradox. Here's a woman of faith, a Hebrew, on her way back to Jerusalem. God's going to sustain her. Watch, but God couldn't heal her. No looking for God to heal her. Just see, when you start dissecting God, he washed me from my sins, but he can't help me with this. You've been tricked. So look at what happened to her life, and maybe you can run a parallel. And thank you, Brother Paradox, whoever it was that helped me, I, I appreciate it. The Lord always keeps us humble. You know, you preach about Moses' ark or something, and the Lord will always keep you, keep you humble. What are some of the experiences that led to Naomi's bitterness? There was lack. She was experienced a famine. There was confusion. Why would there not be bread in Bethlehem? The name Bethlehem means house of bread. And you may come to a place, why would God do this when he's promised this? Upheaval. She had to relocate to a foreign land. And sometimes the upheaval in our life is caused by another person. We didn't ask to be abandoned. We didn't ask to be abused. We didn't ask to be misused. So whether upheaval was your choice or someone else's, 
uh, in the secular chart of stresses and pressures, relocation is one of the top ones when you pick up and lose all your associations and family and friends. There was lack, confusion, upheaval, unexpected loss. There was no mention of her husband being sick. He just died. Her life partner, the one she had put her hopes in, just died. Unexpected loss. Then more loss, the death of her two sons. And I know some of you are taking notes, but I want you to look up because this is critical. It's not the thing that happens to you that pushes you over the edge. It's the accumulative, it's the cumulative pressure of all of it together. We can take one loss. We can take one upheaval. We can take one confusion. But when you group it all together and thing after thing after thing after thing happens, it's one thing to bury your husband and then bury your boys right on top of it. You're in a pagan land. You don't have answers. You're confused. You've suffered lack. And many Christians sit on their pious throne of naivety, having not experienced any of those things, and judge the person who has fallen victim to circumstances beyond their control. And might I suggest to you to keep your mouth off people that you have not walked in their path. That's just free. Your naive optimism makes me itch. When you've buried your baby, then talk to that mother about God will get you another one. Ooh, I hit something then. Oh, Jesus, help us. Upheaval, unexpected loss, more loss. And with the loss, she can't even catch her breath. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. Now she has overwhelming responsibilities. You think it's hard being a single mother now? There were no openings in that day and age and dispensation and that geography. Women could not work. They could not own property. They could not teach, lead, serve. They were base right at the level of purchased slaves. And she's got two She's got two daughter-in-laws looking to her now. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And she can't do anything. It would be like this, sir. I tell you to provide for your family and you cannot be employed. In a land where you're a stranger. Oh, she's been there a while, but she still has no family or connections. So on top of her grieving, on top of her confusion, on top of her loss, now comes overwhelming responsibility. There was an unchanging landscape. It said that she lived there for 10 years. 10 years out of the will of God. 10 years of dancing with others when you're dying yourself. Any ladies here ever went to uh, a baby shower when you can't have children? Here she is seeing people with their husband and seeing people with their children and 10 years of not having what other people have. 10 years of living with a grieved conscience. 10 years of an overwhelming sense of regret. And then another loss. She said, okay, I'm going to go back to God. You only got two things in the world. She has Orpah and Ruth and Orpah turns back and leaves her. Have you ever just looked toward heaven and went like, Am I on candid camera here? Am I missing something? And we don't say it jokingly like, am I? I remember saying one time, because your pastor is very immature in many areas, I asked the Lord, I said, is, is my birthmark a bullseye? And you know, before I say it, the Lord knows all things. He's getting all the angels together. Come here, watch John. You think he did something stupid last time. Watch this one, watch, watch this. And I'm thinking a little birthmark. Have I just got a bullseye on me? You know, that self-pity kind of sarcasm. Bitterness shows up in a lot of different ways. Anyway, 
So Orpah turns back. And see, bitterness can happen over something you lose or in many cases, something you never had. It can happen immediately, but generally, it happens over time. But there is one absolute about bitterness with no exception. It will not stay hidden. You may think it's hidden, but it will not stay hidden. Number two. Well, let me, let me say this to you. The real question is not how did her bitterness happen, but why is it still with her? So with you, I know you could stack up the list of things that happen and it might be greater than hers. But the true question is not, why are you bitter? But why are you still bitter? Because there's a balm in Gilead that heals. There's a God who knows how to build glory on the ashes of defeat and loss. Only God can do that. Do you, know, do you see the premise, the resurrection, Jesus Christ being the first fruits, we're all going to be resurrected? He said, anything that dies, I can bring it back. Now, when I bring you back, you're not going to be like you were, but you're going to be. It's never just like it was, but it's still you. We want to change God and make him into someone that keeps everything from happening to us. And because the earth is inhabited by creatures of free moral agency, he will not do that. Life is going to happen to us. Tragedies are going to happen to us. Persecutions are going to happen to us. But we are not like the pagan who has no hope. We can take our ashes to God. Oh, I remember. I'll keep preaching it till the day I'm gone from here. I die or the Lord takes me home. I remember the day to me, uh, the day when the Lord spoke to me. He said, gather up all your ashes. I told him how everything in my life had burned up. It's all burned up. It's all gone. He said, save your ashes. And I remember in my mind, raking up this relationship and raking up these lost years. In my mind. And I remember walking through it like it was a movie. And I got all these bags, like lawn and leaf bags, throwing them over my shoulder and throwing them outside in the yard. And in my yard at 210 Riverdale Drive, I saw myself standing before the Lord. And he said, are these them? Yeah, he said, oh. I can do something beautiful with this. And I saw that equivalent to the things that I had lost, if he gives beauty for ashes, if I had a whole lot that got burned up, I'm going to have a whole lot of beauty come to my life. And I saw it in the word. Your help does not come from somebody feeling sorry for you. Your help comes from the word of God. And he's no respecter of persons. The question is not, why are you bitter? The question is, why are you still bitter? Number two. Her bitterness manifested in several ways. She took no responsibility for her part in what her life had become. Now, Limelech led them into Moab. Yes. But have you ever met a woman? Don't get mad at me. Men's Day is coming up. I'm just practicing here. Have you met, ever met a woman that while she was submitting, didn't tell you what she thought? That's not an insult. That'd be like asking you, have you ever met a man that wasn't selfish? It's the same thing. Have you ever met a woman that wasn't going to tell you while submitting? I don't think we ought to be doing this. Have you ever met one? Where was Naomi standing up and saying, Elimelech, this is not who we are. 
This is not who you are. Your name means God is my king. And the king said, we're not supposed to go into Moab. Where was her part in this? Let me tell you what bitter people do. Us bitter people do. Even though we may not be the reason the things happened. When we're bitter, we do not acknowledge our part in the choices that might have led to it. There's no repentance there. There's no, because the thing is so bad that we don't feel our part in it's necessary. So we leave our humility out. Pride will not let us say that we might have had a small part. Pride would not let us say that God might be chastising us because we're in the wrong place. Pride wouldn't let us touch that part. So we just talk about what happened. She couldn't bring herself fully to fully recognize and receive the love of others. Bitter people won't let you love them. Ruth is trying her best to love on her. And the Bible says, and when Naomi saw that she could not talk her out of it, she walked on. Where was... Anybody besides me noticed that what should have happened didn't happen? Why didn't Naomi break down in tears and say, I may not have much, but you are better to me than seven sons. God, thank you for Ruth. That one life preserver because pride won't let you let people love you. Because if you let people love you, you owe them love back. And Naomi didn't feel she had no love to give. That's good. That is good. Bitter people won't recognize others who love them. How does it feel to be Ruth loving somebody, loving somebody, loving somebody, and all they talk about is what they lost? Tragically. It was a horrible loss, but Ruth is like, I'm here. Anybody, don't raise your hand. Grew up in a broken home, and one of the spouses was so depressed, so distraught rightfully so they lost their spouse did you ever feel like a child saying but I'm here I'm still here I know what it's like to hear a parent in the other room not want to live I know what it's like and you go but I'm here I'm here but bitter people can't see it they can't see the little girl holding on to their leg they can't see the one running off the school bus can't wait to get to you because that horrible thing that happened to them is now identified them. And that's their new name. And they decided that that was their name. They did not decide on the tragedy happening. They decided on the tragedy defining them. And that's on them. You can be victimized and not be a victim. You can be homeless and not be a homeless person. You follow me? Don't do you? Well, I remember telling people they would ask me how I was doing in this very difficult season, and I wanted to answer it honestly. But I said, "Don't feel no, don't don't feel sorry for me, because then I then I die." I, I I mean, it's good to have that initial one time hug, "I love you," but like, hey, let's not forget, let's not forget, let's not forget. God's good, God's faithful, and if it weren't for the love of this house, I probably would not have made it. But I knew enough, being a student of the word, that I, if Ruth comes by and says, I'll never leave you, I go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at what the Lord's doing. And some of you, 
know who I'm talking about. He's got them in your life and you've not pushed them away. You let them walk with you, but you don't love them back and you don't let them love you. And the curing of Naomi, when you read a couple chapters more, she not only let Naomi love her, they became family. Did you know some of you are the Ruth? You are the answer to someone else's pain. Stay with them. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in their life too. Stay with them. One day they'll open their eyes and see what you mean. Stay with them. She was closed to the healing properties of spiritual community. Naomi was so bitter, she was closed to the healing properties of spiritual community. That's the person that if they do come to church, they come late and leave early. I'm not going to nothing where I have to introduce myself or hug nobody or hold nobody's hand. I ain't doing it. Okay, free will, got you. All these ladies go, is this, is this Naomi? Instead of saying, yes, help me, and just run and hug everybody. Why didn't she just run into the arms of her friends? Because bitter people would rather, and I'm, please don't think I'm speaking down at you. I have been this. I'm telling you from experience. Bitter people, their pride will allow you to feel sorry for them before they'll let you heal them. Because you feeling sorry for me confirms my stand of accusation against God who's dealt wrong by me. Do you know that you have not lost anything of eternal value? Nothing. Nothing. We've lost some stuff. Anybody else lost a little bit when the housing market turned? Anybody else lost just a little bit? Almost everything I invested was in real estate. Gone, gone. And then that scripture come to life. Doesn't life teach you the Bible? Fleeting are riches. And you go, show it. Paid this for this home. We invested this. Now for sale at 30 cents on the dollar. You're like, praise the Lord. Okay. But I've lost nothing of eternal value. Nothing. Oh, about the staff football game. At one time, I was the man. I could play football. Now I'm closer to the walker with the tennis balls on it than I am. So I turn over my crown to Wade. This year, Wade going to give him something. Now if Wade loses... I'm going to talk about him for 20 years because I've never lost. But anyway, no pressure, Wade, none at all. You could tell it in her words that she was bitter. You could tell it in her countenance she was bitter. You could tell it in her actions. You could tell it in what she wouldn't allow. She, you could tell it that she didn't appreciate those that loved her. And you could tell it in how she spoke of God. She didn't speak often. But when she did, listen to this. The Lord Jehovah, that's the personal name of the Israelite. There were many names of God, but when she said Jehovah, that's the personal one. He dealt very bitterly with me, which means he grieved me. He vexed me. He distilled me, which means distilling like drop by drop. He filtered me. Piece by piece, he deconstructed me. That's what she said of God. He testified against me, which means he publicly shouted his verdict of disapproval. Now there's a fine line here. For the believer. Because everything that happens in our life, God either planned it or allowed it. 
You could close your Bibles and deal with that for the next month. Everything. He knew everything. Now, he didn't design it, everything to happen. But everything came to us by God's plan or by him not intervening. And that's the hang-up when we have great loss. You could have stopped this. Why didn't you interject? She said, the Lord shouted publicly his disapproval of me. Be careful not to quickly go to the side that blames God for it. God may be weeping over your Lazarus' tomb and you don't even know it. The Almighty has afflicted me, which means broke me to pieces, shattered me, made me good for nothing. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty, which means worthless, in vain, without cause. For those of you that are Bible students, you'll really enjoy this. Look at, look at that verse. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Notice that she took credit for her fullness and gave God the credit for the emptiness. I went out full. Me and my husband had made it work, but God brought me back empty. Me, full. God, empty. But hidden in there too, the Bible is multi-layered. Don't read the Bible like a newspaper. Chew on it. Ask the Lord to open it up to you. Right in the middle of it was her spirit, her sane self talking, and she didn't even know it. So let me back up. Hold my place right there in case I forget. Do you remember when the Israelites were screaming uh, and they said, who should we release, Barabbas or Jesus? And they cried out, Barabbas, Barabbas. And then they said, his blood be upon us. Which that was murderous rage. But their spirit was saying something. Their mind didn't even know they were saying, his blood be upon us. The blood of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Healing, power. So sometimes for the believer... In their carnality, they're saying stuff and their spirit says, I got to get something in here and say something in there. So look what she said. I went out full and the Lord brought me back empty. The Lord brought me full, empty, but the Lord brought me back unknowingly, graciously, systematically, strategically, hands on, personally, Working before me, wooing me. The Lord brought me back. Bitter people don't see the Lord working even if their spirit knows it. Mm, that is good. Please preach that for me. You going to preach that for me in the prison? You going to tell them? Okay. I need. They, they, yes. Y'all, when we get to preach in the prison, you walk in and you say, y'all ready to hear the word? And they stand on their feet and they clap until you tell them to stop. Hungry for the word. And that is, there's power in it. They know. All right. Oh, I'm not going to have time. Lord, help me. Bitter people are troubled people. They trouble themselves and they defile others. You can tell it in their eyes. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in their words and you can feel it in their emotions. They have tunnel vision. Only seeing the things that are lost. Lost. They can be filled with hate. Often they're jealous of others. They're generally joyless and find it very difficult to laugh. I, I wanted to laugh, but I couldn't. I, I wasn't bitter, but I was its cousin. I was, I was sorrow laden, but it's the same result. They rarely laugh and they're rarely joyless. 
They feel justified in their attitudes, feelings, and words. And they're usually not aware of how far their bitterness has taken them. Listen, bitter people, you'll never find them dreaming about tomorrow or enjoying today. They always want to talk about yesterday. They are as bound as any heroin addict or crack addict you've ever met. Listen, they are addicted to pain. Because it's, it's become them. When they wake up, a crack addict thinks about crack. In the middle of the day, he thinks about crack. Before he goes to bed, he thinks about crack. And all the days between, if you've ever known anybody addicted, they said, it is in your subconscious all the time. And bitter people talk about, think about, or dwell upon what happened all the time. And I'm not taking away from the horribleness of what happened. But bitter people are addicted. Listen to this. They're addicted to pain. And the supplier of their drug is their own memory and the sympathy of others. One of the ways you come out is you tell people, stop feeling sorry for me. I got to wean myself off of that. Tell me you're praying for me. Tell me you love me. Hug me, fine, fine. But if I, I got to break the gravitational pull of being identified by what happened or didn't happen in my life. Number four, but God was at work. Naomi was bitter, but God was at work. Say this with me. Naomi was bitter, but God was at work. Even though she thought God opposed her. God was at work even though he didn't have to. And even though she didn't deserve it. Has God ever done anything for you because you deserved it? No. It's the goodness of the Lord. God was at work even though she couldn't see it. God was at work even though she couldn't feel it. God was at work even though no one else around her recognized it. And there was much evidence to the contrary. So how was God working? He had allowed death to empty her, friends to leave her, and her ears hear of the works of God. He sent Ruth to walk beside her. He supplied the harvest and the specific field to sustain her. He prepared Boaz to go before her. Provision, protection, redemption, and restoration. And he had old friends of hers waiting at the gate. Her first moment home, God had positioned women at the gate to remind her who she was. First words out of their mouth, Naomi, Naomi. And God has sent me this morning to tell you, you're not what you call yourself. You're what God called you when he birthed you into the kingdom. Don't answer by another name. Naomi, you're a pleasant one. You're a radiant one. You're the light of the world. Did God say that about you or not? Light of the world. If radiant is something, what is light of the world? Of the world. Well, my light's out. Quit. Stop. How about this? My light has been beat down to a wick that is bruised with a little bit of flame on it. And I feel the Lord cupping his hands around it. And he's going to bring me back. That's glorious. Yes, you can honor the Lord. Praise him. God was working dutifully, consistently, strategically, thoroughly, divinely, gently, he was at work deeper than her, just her experience. See, God works deeper than just your experience. See, this included her, but it was not limited to her. In a moment, you're going to see, he was restoring her, but it wasn't really about her. See, your life 
is a line in his story. He's not a line in your story. And God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Every sorrow, every tragedy, every loss, every lack, every bruise. He doesn't waste one tragedy. See, when we're making something and some guys are carpenters, they're skilled. And there's other guys that think they're carpenters and they're not skilled. And then there are people like me that have come into the understanding, I can't do nothing with no wood and nail. I just don't do it. I hire people. A good carpenter said, don't throw that away. Why? I'll use that. Where? You'll see. So what he's saying is, I'm doing stuff you don't even, just, just, and then later on down the project, where that little 